Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. Not only is Jesus Christ God, but also he claimed that he is God in John chapter 10, verse 30. Here's what he said. He said, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, and God the Father are one. And what he meant by that is we are the exact same in essence and in nature. So people get hung up. Well, there's God the Father and Jesus Christ is lesser because he's the son of God. No, he isn't. He is the exact same in essence as the Father. And God the Holy Spirit is God too. Exact same in essence as God the Son and God the Father. One God expressing himself in three separate and distinct persons. Amazing, And we're going to talk about uh, one of the things that I'm going to share with you during the non-resident congregation homecoming is why I think that God chose to express himself that way as one person, one God, and three separate and distinct persons. Well, if Jesus Christ claimed to be God, he's either telling the truth or lying. And every time he said that he was God, they tried to stone him to death. It was bad news for him when he was hanging out in Jerusalem because that's where the people really were, were zealots that he was not God, even though he proved 109 different things that were predicted in the, in the Old Testament to show that he was God. So he's either lying or telling the truth. There's no middle ground. It's either he's a liar or he's a truth teller. You get to decide that what his veracity is in your own soul. At Barah Ministries, though, we know these truths, that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's the way he described himself. He also described himself as the God-man, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, so the uniquely born one in the universe. He is the sovereign God of the universe. Nothing happens in the universe without his permission. He is the Jewish Messiah. He is the Savior of the whole world. In the world, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, it's the exact same in Christianity. And who we believers in Christ know is the Christ, the Messiah. Now, why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from God's perspective and not from man's perspective. We are Christians And we have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, the Apostle Paul encourages us believers to keep on being diligent, to show ourselves approved unto God as workmen who do not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. 
If you don't know the truth, you can't spot a counterfeit. Why are people successful at lying to us? People are successful at lying to us because we don't know the truth. If you know the truth, you can spot the lie. And we ask you to always compare everything that's being taught here at Barah Ministries to what the Bible says. And that is not just an invitation. That's a responsibility that you have. You trust your teachers to the degree that what they say corresponds exactly, precisely in every way to what the Bible has to say. Now, who is God's enemy? This is one thing that people forget. God actually has an enemy. It's Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. In John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says, Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And what that means is he will be dethroned from his position as the ruler of this world at a future point in time. Satan is a creature. He is not a symbol of evil. He is not a concept. And he isn't a cartoon character with a red epidermis and a pitchfork, as some people claim. He is a brilliant, perfect, gorgeous, well-dressed, former officer angel genius. And Satan deceives the whole world, including you and me. And one of his greatest deceptions is that he doesn't exist. 60% of Christians between the ages of 19 and 35 do not believe that Satan exists. That's Christians. Forget about what unbelievers think. That's Christians. Why? Because in our we-don't-want-to-offend-anybody world, we've started soft-peddling it that there is actually a creature who is against us. And we're going to get some real insight into that creature today as we, we listen to the Lord's Supper celebration. What does he do? His purpose is to ruin your life. He clouds the mind of unbelievers so that they don't get to know God and so they don't see the power of his gospel message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 say this. Even if our gospel is veiled, that's a first-class condition if, if and it's true. Even if our gospel is veiled, and of course it is, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Unbelievers, what does that mean? It means Satan blinds the minds of unbelievers. He puts a veil over the gospel. He distorts the gospel. He says, yeah, you got to believe in Christ, but you got to add a whole bunch of stuff to it. you got to help him. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. There's nothing you can do to help God. He doesn't need your help. We're going to find that out today. He does not need your help. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, in whose case the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so they will not see the light of the gospel of the glory of the Christ. The Christ who is the image of God the Father. Image of God the Father. Exact same as God the Father. Same in essence. Same in nature. That's the Christ. Satan interferes with the believer in Christ's chance to become intimate with God by distracting us during the study of the Word of God. If not for God's protective power, all mankind would be defenseless against Him. I think, you know, if I could probably get my Bible study, my Bible lessons written in eight hours if it wasn't for Satan's interference. Because of that interference, it takes me 16 hours. Right? Because I always had to go to the bathroom. 
I always get hungry when I'm writing. I always got to get up and check something. I got to check my email. There are so many distractions designed by Satan to pull you away from just getting to know God, just being right there, even in prayer sessions. You know, you start the prayer session. If, if I'm lonely, I just start a prayer session. You know what? Everybody known to mankind starts calling my phone, blowing it up. I hear from people I haven't heard from in 20 years. See what I'm saying? But I know I'm the only one that experiences stuff like this. You guys don't have, have to deal with those distractions, do you? The Lord's Supper celebration today at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. What does it mean to obliterate? To obliterate is to destroy so thoroughly that there is no trace of anything left. To destroy so thoroughly that there is no trace of anything left. I have former friends and estranged relatives who have obliterated the trust between us. They have so destroyed the trust that there is not one speck of trust left where it seems that there's no way to resurrect the relationship. Even as I offer them God-gifted, unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace, I can't see a path back to a relationship ever. I see no possibility. When you have those situations happen in your life, that's where God comes in. When you don't think there's a possibility, you realize there's nothing impossible with God. What is inadequacy? Inadequacy is complete ineptness, an inability to generate success, an insufficient effort, work not good enough to produce the desired result, like you trying to save yourself. You are completely inadequate to save yourself. You are completely inept at that. All right, so if you're honest, you have a feeling of inadequacy every day. Amen? Amen. Am I lying to you? Is there anybody in here, show of hands, who doesn't feel inadequate in some way every day? We all do. Now, here's my question for you. Why? Raise your hand if you're a believer in Christ. Okay, so we got a lot of believers in Christ in here, right? Why do you feel inadequate? Are you inadequate? Uh, you answered too slow. You did. You answered too slow. See, we, just because we feel inadequate, I love people who judge life with their feelings. I feel. Just because you feel inadequate, does that make you inadequate? <laughs> no. No. Your feelings are the least trustworthy thing about you. Amen? All right. So if you're honest, you have a feeling of inadequacy every day. No matter how hard you try, on some things, you can't ever seem to get them to go your way. Do you ever notice that? There are some things that you think you're going to be able to master them, and you can never work it out. See, you guys look at me, and you see this amazing person, right? You know, I'm handsome. Like, 
you you gotta ask yourself how did he how did he end up divorced twice? And and the conclusion <laughs> the conclusion people always make is well it had to be his fault. All right, I'm willing to accept that, but there are two people in a relationship, right? So it's never any it's never one person's fault. The, it, the, when the two become one flesh, if it's somebody's fault, it's the one person's fault, right? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody said nope. <laughs> The two became one flesh. It's their fault. I don't even understand why people who are in relationships have faults. So you look at me and say, well, how, how did that happen, man? How did you end up two marriages went south? How do you end up spending 27 years of your 41 adult years married and it didn't work out? How would that happen? Yeah, it's a great question. Well, I know why it happened. I'm inadequate. See, I, I would like for it to have worked out. I certainly gave all of myself to working it out, but I'm inadequate. Now, I understand that here in this congregation, I'm the only one that has that problem, amen? <laughs> right? I am inadequate. You, on the other hand, are not. Right? You got any friends like that who always are really good at pointing out everything that's wrong with you, and they don't see anything to yourself, and they don't go in here and say, hmm, let me see if there's anything in here that talks about that. Oh, how can you criticize the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log in your own? Why don't you take the log out of your own eye so you can see well enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye? Yeah, what, what, no, we're not going to read this. We're going to listen to the news. You ever hear anything like that on the news? No, so we're real good at pointing at somebody else and telling them what they are and not looking at ourselves. But when we make an assessment of our own life and we're telling ourselves the truth, we're not real good at getting what we want. We fail over and over. We got relationships. You, some of y'all got teenagers, right? They ain't, they ain't even interested in doing what you're asking them to do. They think you are whack. Right? And it happens at 13 years old, and it, it extends to 21 years old, and their whole thought about you, you're talking to them, you think you got a relationship, and their whole thought about you is, you are whack. And the funny thing is, they're thinking that when they don't have a job, and they've never done one thing meaningful, or accomplished one thing meaningful in their lives, and they think they have the right or the ability to judge somebody who has changed 5,000 of their crap diapers and paid for it too, to the clip of about 75 bucks a week. Okay? But that's life. We're inadequate. And you know, I'm convinced that one of the reasons that God gives us teenagers, those of us who are stupid enough to have kids, is so that we could feel inadequate. Because can you imagine, honestly, you know, I joke about I joke about how wonderful I am, how handsome I am and all that, but I don't think that. When I'm in the mirror in the morning at 5.30 in the morning, I'm thinking the same things you are. The inadequate stuff. Why? We need to stop that. So in today's lesson, we're going to learn about the biggest problem in your life. Can I get an amen? amen? Can I get an amen? Because we want to learn about the biggest problem in our life. Amen. Can I get one? 
What do you imagine it is? This biggest problem in your life. Is it inadequacy? No. It's that God isn't big enough for you. I don't believe you heard me. So I'm going to repeat that. God isn't big enough for you. Every day, at some point in the day, we insult God by making him too small to handle our problems. And as we look at the cross and see him hanging there, not only do we forget what he did there, we forget for whom he did it. Who did he hang in the cross for? You, all y'all, that's right. And today, you'll get a reminder which I hope rattles you to your very core, the same as it did me as I reflected on God's message to us this week. All right, well, let's hear some music. How does the Lord see you? Many ways. Among them, the description in Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, which says this, And although you believers in Christ were formerly alienated, and hostile in mind when you are unbelievers, engaged in evil deeds, Colossians 1.22, yet the Lord Jesus Christ has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death on a cross in order to present you before God the Father holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If you're a believer in Christ, the way God looks at you is as a person who is holy blameless, and without reproach. Perfect. Righteous. Isn't that amazing? Well, it doesn't matter how you believers in Christ see yourselves, then. What matters is how the Lord sees you. And at the cross, as Mercy Me sings, the Lord made you how he sees you. Flawless. There's got to be more Than going back and forth From doing right to doing wrong Cause we were taught that's who we are Come on, get in line right behind me You along with everybody Thinking there's worth in what you do Then like a hero who takes the stage When we're on the edge of our seat Saying it's too late let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is a cross has made. The cross has made you flawless. No matter the hurt or how deep.
Paulus. By mercy me. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for this ministry. Am I on? All right. Sorry about that. Father, thank you for this ministry that you have trusted us with. Thank you for bringing us into your presence on a regular basis so we can hear your thinking. Thank you for giving us your perspective. Thank you for loaning us your power whenever we need it. Thank you for providing God the Holy Spirit as a guide who leads us into the truth and who helps us hear your word. The Holy Spirit, whom you have given us as a pledge of our inheritance in union with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, it's obvious that our thinking is too small. It's obvious that we constrict ourselves. We live in little boxes, and we dumb down our possibilities into what we think is manageable form. Help us to think as big as you do. Help us to take advantage of how big you are. And remind us that there is nothing you can't accomplish. Overwhelm us with your divine power. Show us how to use your power, both for ourselves and for others. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's lesson is the Lord's Supper lesson. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. He made you flawless. Well, welcome to the Lord's. <laughs> oh no, that was oh no, that was on point. <laughs> welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, the most intimate expression of our deep, intimate, and loving personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. In this celebration, the Lord reminds us of the unity all believers in Christ possess by sharing his body and his blood with us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality, and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. Every month, we celebrate the Lord's Supper to remember. We remember that we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent on him for our so great salvation. We remember that we believers in Christ are in union with Christ, and we can't get out of our union with him no matter what we do. We remember that the Lord loves us unconditionally. We remember that we are forgiven for every sin we commit, past, present, and future. And we remember that we have the Lord's grace to help in times of need, and especially when we make mistakes. The Lord's Supper celebration is often called communion. It's our chance to commune with the Lord. It's a sacred celebration, so it's not something we take for granted, and it's not something we do on the fly. It's a time to have bread and wine in front of us as we enjoy the elements, we remember how much we count on the Lord Jesus Christ, both for physical and spiritual sustenance. During the Lord's Supper celebration, when we look back to the cross for a moment, we remember even more. We remember how the Lord rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We remember the sacrifice of his shedding blood to cover our sins. 
we remember the deliverance to the resurrection life he orchestrated, bringing us into the kingdom of light. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to look forward as well in anticipation that he is coming again. So as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? Now, I think religious people get all hung up on him there on the cross. You know, you can just tell a religious person right away because he's still on the cross. He ain't on the cross anymore. After he died on the cross, he went into the grave, and he was resurrected from the dead. He's in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. He's not hanging on a cross. He's not one of us sitting, staring at him, hanging from a cross, and be all sad about it. Oh, look, poor Jesus, look what they did to him. He went there voluntarily. He's omniscient. He knows all that is knowable. He knew exactly what was going to happen to him before he came here. He came here and volunteered for it. We don't have to feel sorry for him, and we don't have to feel bad about it. He did that for you. That's what we have to get inside of us, because if you're distracted by thinking, that must have hurt. Hell yes, it hurt. Crucifixion is the worst death in human history. All of your weight is laying on your lungs, and your heart is constricting you. It's tearing at your ligaments. Of course, it's horrible. That's hardly the point. He, he picked the death that was the most horrible to let you know something. And that is that with his power, you can do anything. And that's the message that gets lost when we get all wrapped up in the emotion of the thing. Recently, I asked a friend, how big is God? I don't know if I was unclear or if she misunderstood the question. But she asked me, what do you mean? I hate people who ask you a question after you ask them a question. Amen? Like, if I ask you a question, answer the question. Don't be asking me a question back. Amen? Now, you didn't say amen because you do that. Say amen. (laughs) So I encouraged her to answer, and she said, he's very big in my life. She misunderstood the question because I was unclear. I wasn't really asking a question. I was making a statement. Do you really know how big God is? Do you really know how big God is? And we don't. If we did, we would never feel inadequate. If we knew how big God is, we would never feel inadequate. I have a friend who always feels inadequate. My son's out. <coughs> Excuse me, I had, I need a little water. I had something in my throat. Amazing, Amazing how that happened. <laughs> I think it would have been better. Wah, wah, wah. I think that would have been better. <laughs> So I have a friend who always feels inadequate. We know who it is now. He reflects. (laughs) Yeah, that isn't. (laughs) He reflects obsessively on the mistakes he has made in his life. He is obsessed with the past. And this is a man for whom God would do anything he asks, 
Yet while he's busy telling his inadequacy story to himself over and over again, he uses up the time that he could be dedicating to ask, asking God in prayer for anything he wants. God is big enough to do anything for him. And the funny thing is, God wants to do it all for him. He wants to do it all for you. He wants to do it all for me. He wants to do it all for everyone. But in our minds, God isn't big enough. I'm sure my friend is the only one of us that experiences that, right? <laughs> Amen. No. Let's think about how big God is. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says this. In the beginning, God, and that's God the Son, Jehovah Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Created is the Hebrew word bara. And that's why we call this Barah Ministries. Because at that moment, this God was so powerful, he made something out of nothing. Barah. Think about that. Now, did it take him seven days to do it? Nope. You know what he did? He sneezed. He snapped his finger. It happened in a second. The satanic distortion of the, the knowledge of this reality, reality is the Big Bang Theory. And anytime something is true in Satan's kingdom, he always attaches the word theory to it. Like if you think that there is a force behind the government leading them to lead us into this slavery that we're going into, and you say it out loud, it's a conspiracy what? theory yeah it's not a theory read the book of revelation the best history book ever that's predicting the future this is laying the path for a future of slavery while simultaneously it was for freedom that god set us free so in the beginning god the son jehovah elohim the lord snapped his finger and created the universe and it was perfect because everything he does is what? Perfect. perfect. All right. God is big enough to create the entire universe. He's big enough to sit on the throne of the universe. How big is he? He created everything in the universe, including you. He was big enough to create you. And he had you in his mind a billion years before he did it. He knew exactly the parents he was going to send you to. He sent you to the perfect parents. And whether you agree with it or not, too bad. He sent you to the perfect environment. He sent you to the perfect circumstance. The one that would be perfect for you. He knows your name. And he has his name in, your name in his mind. And he's always had it in his mind. And he always will have it in his mind. That's how big he is. He started it all with angelic creatures. And as the Lord created a perfect heaven and a perfect earth, because everything he does is perfect, his perfect creatures looked on at, 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 in amazement as he snapped his finger to create the universe. Job chapter 38 verse 7 says this, When the morning stars sang together, that was the event. They were so happy they were singing. Now you know why June is always walking around with a song in her head, waving her hands back and forth. It's not just her Pentecostal background, amen? It's that when you're happy, 
That's what happens. You sing. The angels were singing together. And all the sons of God, the angels, the Benihah Elohim in Greek, shouted for joy. The sons of God, the angelic creatures, shouted for joy. How big is God? There's no one who is adequate in the universe but he. In other words, we're all inadequate, just not he. He's adequate. And this is a God who loves you personally by name. And the funny thing is, when I say God loves you, it doesn't even resonate to the very core of your being. Why? Because you sin. That's why. Because you sin, you adopt a sense of inadequacy. We imagine that God feels the same way about us that we feel about ourselves. And how do we feel about ourselves? Inadequate. But he doesn't. But in imagining that God looks at us as inadequate, we make God small. Too small to handle our inadequacies. Imagine the first sin committed in the universe. And I really want you to think about this. Everything was perfect. And then there was a sin. A violation of God's recommendations, which is what sin is. To miss the mark of the plan of God for your life. Imagine when that sin happened. It resounded over the whole universe and everybody knew it happened. Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 15. You, Satan, were blameless in your ways. You were perfect from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. The sin. Trafficking slander against the Lord and getting all the angels to turn against the Lord. It was the sin that was heard around the entire universe. And when it occurred, God was pissed. He was so pissed that he shut down the universe. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, but the earth became formless and void. You see, the the mistranslation of that is this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. God doesn't create formless and void stuff. Amen? It wasn't formless and void. It became formless and void. That's what the Hebrew says. What made it become formless and void? He shut down the planet. He shut down the universe. Sin pissed him off, and he shut it down like that. Just as fast as he had opened it, he shut it down. And if we proceed with the story in Genesis, and darkness covered the deep, and then God the Holy Spirit restored the planet over seven days. It wasn't the one who created it. The Lord, God the Son, The Holy Spirit fixed it. That was the seven days. All right, so what was this God being pissed off? God's wrath. Because when somebody sins, they are going to get God's wrath. Amen? Why? Because that's perfect. Now, you believers are panicking right now. I I sinned twice this morning. (laughs) Am I going to get the wrath of God? Now, y'all is protected. 
I'm just talking about his general attitude towards sin, his wrath. He's going to come down on it like you can't believe. Can you be imagine? Can you even imagine be, God being mad at you? Can, would you ever want that to happen? No, because he could turn your light off like that. Uh, yeah, Leticia, I don't like her. Turn it off. Just turn it off. Well, I don't, she was on a staircase. I don't care. Just turn it off. That's my great fear, right? He's just going to get mad at me one day and, you know, I'm, I'm walking down some stairs and I'll fall down the stairs and they're going to find me. You know, put tape down. It's a crime scene. Oh, my goodness. But anyway, God's wrath. Can you imagine that? Here's what it looks like when God's mad. Jeremiah chapter 4, verses 23 and 27, as God sees this vision, as Jeremiah sees this vision given to him from God at the moment the first sin happened in the universe. I, Jeremiah, looked on the earth, and behold, the earth had become formless and void. The Hebrew words tohu wabohu. The earth became formless and void. And I looked to the heavens, and they had no light. He shut down the planet. Jeremiah 4. 24, and I looked on the mountains, and behold, they were quaking, and all the hills moved to and fro. What is that called? There was an earthquake, right? Nothing scarier than that. The earth just starts vibrating, and you're wondering if the building that you're in is going to come down on your head. I was in an earthquake in Los Angeles, and I was on the 35th floor of a hotel. (laughs) And, you know, I'm thinking, boy, I sure hope those engineers were pretty good. Right, because the building was swaying. It was unbelievable. It was really scary. Jeremiah twenty-four or Jeremiah four twenty-five. I looked. This is Jeremiah talking again. And behold, there was no man, and all the birds of the heaven had fled. They were scared. Jeremiah four twenty-six. I looked, and behold, the once fruitful land. See, it was perfect. The once fruitful land was now a wilderness. And all its cities were pulled down before the Lord. Why? His fierce anger. Jeremiah 4.27 For thus says the Lord, the whole land will be a desolation. I'm mad. I'm wiping it out. But then, another thought. But it won't be a complete desolation. See, that was his right. It was his right to shut it down and to go about his business. Oh, failed experiment. Too bad. He's not like that. See, because if he had done that, he has the sovereignty to do it, but it's not consistent with love. It's not consistent with righteousness. And everything he does, he has to be in harmony with all the parts of himself. That's stuff that we would do as human beings. Oh, somebody made you mad? Cut them off. Cut them off. Well, what a, where's the love, man? Ah, I, don't, I don't have any. Where's the forgiveness? Nope. What about grace? Nah. Mm-mm. They're done. That's not how God works. It's not how he works. How big is God? He's big enough to give second chances. As a matter of fact, when he was talking to Peter, Peter said, you know, Lord, I I know that the Mosaic law says that you should forgive your brother three times. Well, 
What about if I forgave seven times? <laughs> Peter was always putting his foot in his mouth. I love him. He and me, he, he, Peter and I are going to be hanging. He's my kind of guy. Mr. Shoe Leather. And the Lord said, I, I don't say seven times. I say 70 times seven. He's not just a God of second chances. He's a God of 490 chances. Are you? No. He is so big that nothing and no one can stop him. So what did God do with his fierce anger, his wrath, when he realized that Satan and every creature following him, including you, would duplicate Satan's error, sin, and turn on him? What did he do right in the midst of being mad? Now, you, you've been mad before, so... Think about the maddest you have ever been. That time when you got cottonmouth mad. Think about that. Think about when you got, I want to hit somebody mad. Think about when you got, I want to throw something at somebody mad. And then multiply it by a million. That's how mad God was. And what did he do at that moment? He sent his son. To die for you. That's what he did. He sent his son. To pay for you. While he was mad. At you. He did something that none of us would do. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this. At physical birth, all mankind was born spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this. All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. And that would be a horrible thing. Horrible if he couldn't get himself together in the midst of his anger. But he did. He got himself together in the midst of his anger and he sent his son to the cross to die for you so that you wouldn't have to go. And his son took the wrath that was intended for you. I don't believe Jesus Christ can save me. Is that the stupidest thing you have ever heard in your entire life? What did God do when he was flipped out furious while simultaneously realizing your inadequacy? This God who is so big had a design for the universe. This God who is so big had a plan for all of his creatures angelic and human. This God who is so big has a personal plan with you right in the middle of it. He designed a way to obliterate your inadequacies. And every day, you insult him by forgetting how big he is. When we return from the break, we'll enjoy the elements and then we'll see what God's bigness has done for you. Five minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been 
told I belong At the end of the line With all the other not quite With all the never get it right But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus When Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say, I'm, I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul
Welcome back. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. Well, in a drought-stricken community in the Midwest, a group of farmers attended an auction for a chance to bid on a set of what were called magic seeds. The seeds were rumored to have been tested in other drought-stricken communities, and allegedly they yielded a crop 100 times the normal crop. The farmers were chomping at the bit to get their hands on these seeds if they were to have any chance for a great harvest this particular year. The farmer who won the bid was ecstatic. He and his wife rushed home with the seeds, and the farmer promptly put the seeds in a safe, and he didn't plant them. Isn't that often the way we handle our finances? Rather than being good stewards of the Lord's financial blessings, distributing them generously, often we hoard our financial blessings, gripped with the fear that the Lord somehow isn't big enough to replenish them. He gives them to us in the first place but he's not big enough to see that we have invested them and he's not big enough to put it back. Yeah, okay, right. Where is the faith? Here's the Lord's promise in Matthew chapter 19, verse 29. He says, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or farms for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold as much and will inherit the resurrection life, eternal life. That's what the apostles thought. Peter was the vocal one. Hey, Lord, we gave up everything for you because they were very wealthy men. They were fishermen. They had cornered the market. They were loaded. And the Lord, some guy walks, walks over to him and says, hey, drop all that stuff and follow me. And they did, but they're looking back over their shoulders at their physical wealth not knowing that in the next three years they would be getting a spiritual wealth that would stagger the imagination. You know why they did that? Because they underestimated the bigness of the Lord. And in the future, each of the 12 of them are going to be sitting on the thrones of Israel. Please give generously at the offering and watch an already generous God's bigness in his response back to you. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall was one of his always inspiring offering messages. That's a new one. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barah Ministries. Barah Ministries, thankfully, is a worldwide Christian church. And this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth in the Word of God. And now that I'm, now that I'm a father, I'm, I'm scared that I've changed my focus too much. And I've let my focus become money instead of wisdom. And it's one of those things as a father you want to provide so much that you forget. You think that money is the solution to everything. But it's really not. Wisdom is. This place right here is the solution to everything, right? So we see in the Bible, I went way back, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 12. Wisdom is protection, just as money is protection. But the advantage of wisdom is that it preserves the lives of its possessors. Because we know that wisdom is as good as an inheritance, or probably better. And because wisdom can't be lost like money. Wisdom can lengthen your life by giving you a spiritual life. Wisdom knows God has an enemy, 
Wisdom knows um, <clears throat> that the Lord Jesus Christ is not just a teacher. He is God. And wisdom knows how to be saved. And wisdom knows just how big God is. But money doesn't know any of those things. Money can't help you with any of that stuff. But we let money fill that void. And we let money become the focus. It's really easy. you know. And in this verse, wisdom is compared to a shadow. A shadow of protection from the light. A shadow of protection from everything in your life. So it's really easy for me on Sundays to make the choice. Should I go to work or should I go get wisdom? Right? So when you think about it, wisdom is way more important than money. So it should be really easy to give me your money when I walk around. (laughs) But seriously, I mean, this is why we're here is to have wisdom, to know the difference between God just being a teacher, or I'm sorry, Lord Jesus Christ just being a teacher or being a man versus being God. And that's a huge difference, and that really matters, and that's why we believe in him. He didn't just die and stay in the grave. He was resurrected and ascended and sits at the right hand of God. And that's amazing. That's true power we need to focus on. And without wisdom, we don't think about how big God is. So just remember that, and let's, let's focus on wisdom and not money. And that's what I'm going to try to do, too. So thank you very much. Outstanding and true message from our Deacon Denny Goodall. The Lord's Supper celebration. Let's enjoy the elements and then let's go on and hear the other things that the Lord has to say to us today about how big he is. Bread and wine. 
The Lord gave us these things to remember him. We will enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song. But obeying the Lord's command, we keep on celebrating Christ regularly. We eat bread to remember who he is as a person, and who he is as a person is the one and only sovereign God of the universe. We drink wine to remember his work on the cross, the voluntary sacrifice he made to deliver us from sovereignty to sin. We remember with gratitude what God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done to save us. Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 16 say this, When the hour had come and his crucifixion was set for the next day, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles reclined with him. And Jesus said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat it again until all that it means is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 23. And when Jesus had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being broken for you. Keep on doing this in memory of me. And in the same way, Jesus took the cup after they had eaten. And he said this, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus continued the celebration, pointing out that he has an enemy. Luke chapter 22, verse 21. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going back to God the Father, as it has been determined. But woe to him, woe to this man by whom he is betrayed. Luke twenty-two twenty-three, And the apostles began to debate among themselves which one of them it was going to be who would be doing this. As believers in Christ, we have chosen not to betray our Lord. Instead, we choose to obey our Lord with this celebration. Let's keep on eating the bread, let's keep on drinking the cup, and let's do both to remember the Lord. Let this celebration encourage our hearts and our minds, filling us with awe and reverence and gratitude, especially at the Lord's bigness. Let's keep on being transformed by the Lord's life, his death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to God the Father, his seating at the majesty's right hand, and by the nourishment we get from his word, which feeds our soul. Let's never forget how big the Lord is. So as we enjoy the elements together, let's hear some music. Let's remember that everything is about you is personal to God. And that's what it means when we hear, Jesus loves me. Here's Chris Tomlin. Presence. 
Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ obliterated your inadequacies. How big is God? Your problems are not too big for God. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, when he was so pissed that all he could see was wrath, he simultaneously developed a plan to get you out of your predicament, the cross. And that's what we celebrate today. When you think about your life, what is the biggest problem facing you today? We have a tendency to make our problems too big. We make them global or societal. Poverty, hunger, politics, global warming, the national debt, COVID-19, race, all things that you can't do one single thing about. Our problems are really personal. Finance, health, time, marriage, family, relationships, career. When you think about your life, what's the biggest problem facing you today? And are you adequate to fix it? 
Of course not. Especially if your problem is big enough. The bigness of God is directed at you. God is big enough to handle your sins for you at the cross. God's big enough to handle, to conquer your own physical death for you. If you're a believer in Christ, when you're absent from the body, you're going to be face to face with the Lord in a place of no more sorrow, no more tears. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come, a place exceeding and abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. And there's no question about it. You can't lose it. And so you don't have to worry about dying because the next second you're going to have a personal escort into heaven from the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to walk you through your very own death-shadowed valley. And as David says in Psalm 23, even though I walk through my own death-shadowed valley, I cannot fear you with me. So there's nothing we're worried about as believers in Christ. He's conquered physical death for us and nailed it to the cross. God is big enough to provide you with everything you have. And as a matter of fact, you're so happy about everything that he gives you that you can't wait to just get it out of your possession. Right? As soon as he gives you some money, you got to give it to other people. you got to spend it. You're kind of generous that way, sort of like a sieve thing with a bunch of holes in it. You're supposed to hold the water, be a good steward of the water, but you just let it drip right through into other purposes that don't matter to you at all. God is big enough to protect you from unseen forces that are conspiring against you, which you won't find out about until this week. What is it exactly that's going on in your life that is too big for this God who went to a cross and died for you? Please tell me. What is it in your life that is too big for this God who went to a cross to die for you? What's too big that he can't handle it for you? Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, and we know we being believers in Christ, we know that God the Father causes all things to work together for good to those who love God the Father and to those who are called according to the Father's purpose. This is one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible because Satan distorts it. Satan says, all things work together for good. It's not what the verse says. The verse says, God works all things together for good for you Passive voice, you're the recipient of what God does. To God, your life is like a cake. All the pieces of the cake, if tasted separately, are pretty gross. They're distasteful. Why don't you try that when you get home? Make a cake. Start with a big spoonful of flour. Then start with an egg. After that, eat the egg raw. Okay, Rocky. <laughs> then drink a little swig of vanilla extract. And then put a big glob of butter in your mouth. See, those things, those separate ingredients are like the inadequacies in your life. Eaten separately, they're gross. See, you have a lot of tribulation in your life. And God uses tribulation to strengthen you, to take you to the spiritual gymnasium. 
But what God does with all these things in your life that are tribulation and all the things that are distasteful to you and all the things that you consider negative is what he does is he mixes them all together and the result is a cake that's pretty tasty. Because there's something magic that happens when God works all those things, all those elements together for your good. And that's what he does. At the cross, the Lord obliterated your inadequacies. We insult the Lord when we choose not to be our best selves. We insult the Lord when we choose to obsess about our inadequacies. Why? Because we're not listening to him. He's telling you, you are flawless, blameless, holy, righteous, in union with Christ, justified. And we go, yeah, but that's not what the flesh is saying in my ear. That's not what Satan is saying, and his, his message is so much sexier. I like believing that I'm a piece of crap. And you chuckle about it, but that was that uncomfortable chuckle, wasn't it? Because you know you do that. You don't dismiss that. Somebody, some stranger gives you a funny look, and it ruins your day. Why are they looking at me like that? That's like whack. Maybe they're looking at you that way because you put on your shirt backwards. I do that all the time. And you know what? I don't even care. Okay, I put on the shirt backwards. It's a big deal. It's no big deal. We think everything is a big deal. And somebody looks at us funny. You know, I look at the people who do the fashion faux pas. They got a Nike hat and a... Arm Under Armour shirt and some Adidas pants. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> That's not right. Something's wrong going on in that head. <laughs> but who cares? Who cares what anybody else thinks of you? Why don't you stop and think about what God thinks of you? Who cares what your kids think of you? My younger kid, my younger son, is Judas Iscariot, betrayer. And he thinks that I'm the worst person in the world. He has no idea what a great father he had. No idea. And do you think I care? I don't care. You know why I don't care? What his opinion is of me and my fathering? It's because I did exactly what I wanted to do as a father. (laughs) Who is he to evaluate me? Who is he to tell me that I was somehow inadequate when at two years old, when he was choking on a cookie and there was a piece of cookie covering his esophagus, I got it out. When his mom panicked, I got it out and he turned from blue to white again. So that's his problem. He's a white boy, see? (laughs) Honest to God, you know, the first thing I looked at when Zachary came out, First thing I wanted to see is what color is he, right? And he was kind of blue, so I was thinking, oh, good, he's a brother. <laughs> now nah, it took like six hours, he lightened up. The Mexican came out, damn! <laughs> I wanted a brother. God doesn't love me all that much. God, were you too big to give me a brother? <laughs> Weren't you big enough? <laughs> so, yeah, okay. 
And everybody says, oh, don't worry, he'll come around. I don't care if he comes around or not. He's on his journey, and I'm on mine. Here's what I know. God gave me the perfect two kids, the exact ones that he had planned for me. And whatever I get from them, it's all for my good. It's for my spiritual development. Because I trust my God. Period. So there's no, I'm not having a lot of consternation about it. God, I wish it was different. I don't care how it is. Whatever God thinks is right for me, I'm taking it. Because I know that at the base of it all, he's working it all together for my good. And yours too. Because a billion years ago, he had my name in his mind. And a billion years ago, he had your name in his mind. And a billion years from now, he'll still have his name, your name in his mind. And you'll be living with him face to face. And you won't be able to believe that all that was made possible by one single decision that took you about a millisecond to make. One single thought in your head that it took no time to make and no work on your part. You won't even be able to believe it. It'll take you 10,000 years to get over that. That's how big your God is. At the cross. The Lord obliterated your inadequacies. Why don't you? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ and all believers in Christ are, he is a new creation. The old self is dead. It passed away. Dead. Nailed to the cross. Behold, new things have come. The part of you that sins... The flesh is not you. That's the part of you that's going to die and go into the ground and become fertilizer for daffodils or into the furnace to be burned with the ashes to be spread at Mount Waialiali on the island of Kauai in the wettest spot in the world, which is where my ashes are going. I am a new creation. You are a new creation, but you forget. Your inadequacies were nailed to the cross of Christ. How big is Christ? Are you willing to let him be big enough to solve your little problems? If not misery, here's Paul, 30 years into his ministry of writing two-thirds of the New Testament, 30 years into this ministry saying this in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. What I'm doing in my outer game, the game that everybody else sees, I don't understand. I'm not practicing in my outer game what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate to do, sinning. I'm not living the real inner game, the spiritual inner game, which is what I want to do. I keep trying to change. I keep trying to stop sinning. I keep trying, trying... Karate, okay. Left side road, okay. Right side road, okay. Middle road, eventually, get squished like grape. No try. That's what Paul's saying. I'm trying, I'm trying. No, 
Which side of the road are you on? Do or do not. No, try. Paul is obsessing with his inadequacies. Read Romans chapter 7, verse 15, verses 15 to verse 24. He's obsessing with his inadequacies. 30 years into his ministry. It's the same thing you do. Every day you get up. Hi. Good morning. Let's talk about all the things I'm not. (laughs) Wow. Isn't that exciting? Let's talk about how we feel. That's not what God's doing. You get up in the morning, God says. Jesus looks at the Holy Spirit, he says. Zachary just got up. Did he? Yeah. Let me see. Yeah. He's there. You can see that cloud coming out of his mouth. He got bad breath. I love him, though. That's my boy. That's what God's saying about you. He's not worried about any of your inadequacies. But you are. Why? Why do you waste your time with that? That should never enter your mind. But it does because Satan tempts you to think it and you believe it. You want to believe it. You don't want to believe what God is saying about you. You're flawless, holy, blameless, righteous, justified. so good, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe it's time for you to really reflect on these thoughts. And anytime a believer in Christ is having trouble, you know where I let it go? Romans 8. Just open up Romans 8 and read it. And you will snap right out of it. Here's Romans 8.1. Therefore, all these things at the end of Romans 7 being the case, all those things that Paul was obsessing about being the case that the things I do, I don't do, I won't, I do the things I hate. All that stuff being the case, we need to remember there is now no condemnation for those who are in union with Christ Jesus. God doesn't condemn you, so why do you condemn you? You are wasting your time. You are hurting yourself. You might as well get up and stick a needle in your eye every day. Now, if you wouldn't do that, why would you criticize yourself ever? Oh, God, that was so stupid. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, uh, uh. Why do you bother doing that? Why do you believe what the flesh is saying to you? Why don't you believe what God is saying about you? Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. What shall we believers in Christ say? face to face with all these things. If God the Father is for us, and he is, who can ever be successful in opposition against us? If God the Father is for us, and he is, who can ever be successful in opposition against us? So you, you, you get the person in your life who is criticizing something about you 
they're in opposition to you. It's obvious that they're not on your side. Are they going to be successful against you? No. There's no way. No weapon formed against a believer in Christ will prosper. But it will seem like it. And what you ought to be doing with the people who are in opposition to you is you ought to be laughing at them. You ought to be saying, it's funny, you think that you're hurting me, but God gave me this situation for my good. You are vanilla extract, and you are not that tasty, but God is going to make a cake. And he has yet to fail making the cake. I am not going to be the first Christian that he fails with. He's going to make the cake. So people who think that they're going to be successful against me, in opposition to me, I laugh. It will not happen. We already have the victory. It's not in doubt. And that's what Satan does. He attacks your mindset. And he wants you to think, God doesn't really love you. Look, Go, go back and read Genesis 3. What did he say to Eve? Has God not said? <laughs> Has God not said not to eat from any of the tree? He's, the Lord said, any tree in the garden you can eat from it, except the one in the middle. Don't eat from that. Because dying you will die. Stay away from the one that hurts you. That's all he said, Satan. He's just, he just doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good and evil. It's a liar. And we sit there going, yeah. Yeah, that one in the middle, that's really shiny. I like that one. It's shiny. I want that one. You know, forget about the eight million other ones. I want that one. It's shiny. Okay. What then shall we believers in Christ say face to face all these things? If God the Father is for us believers in Christ, and he is, who's ever going to be successful in opposition to us? Check this out. God the Father, when he was pissed, who did not spare his own son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but delivered him over, got him crucified for you, got him shedding his blood to cover your sins. How will the Father not also, with our union with Christ, not freely give us all things? He's going to pay your mortgage. He's going to pay your bills, even though you are fiscally completely irresponsible. He's going to cover you. You sieves. It comes in and I got to get it out of here. Don't want it to stay here. Savings account, what's that? Interest. No, credit cards and paying somebody 22% for borrowing money. Pay me 20. You don't have to pay me 22. Pay me 12. I'll loan you money for 12% a month. The credit card is two a month. But I'm two, <laughs> there, there you go. <laughs> that was beautiful. All right, big finish. How big is God? God the Father satisfied his own wrath when he was pissed at you by sending you, his son to die for you. For you, by name. 
And if you had been the only person that he had had to die for, he would have sent him anyway. Personally. The Lord's work at the cross on your behalf obliterated your inadequacies. Isn't it time for you to agree with God by discontinuing your obsession with your inadequacies? Things God doesn't count against you. Instead, thinking constantly about how God really sees you. Flawless. In God's eyes, you are flawless. Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 say this, And although you believers in Christ were formerly alienated and hostile in mind when you were unbelievers, you chose to be enemies of God, engaged in evil deeds. Colossians 1.22, Yet the Lord Jesus Christ has reconciled you, removed the barrier that was, was making uh, a relationship with God the Father impossible, reconciled you, in his fleshly body, through death on a cross, so that he will later be able to present you before God the Father as holy, blameless, and without reproach. Father, I'd like to introduce you to Rory Clark. Who's he? Holy, blameless, without reproach, young man. Nice to meet you, Rory. Awesome to meet you too, Father. I think it's time to realize that your inadequacies are no longer an issue. I think it's time to live the life of royalty. You are a child of a king, and you need to act like it. God wants you. And what God wants from you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. Because where you spend eternity matters to God. Because you matter to God. And he wants you to be saved. In John chapter 4 verses 13 and 14, the Lord Jesus Christ is talking to a woman at a well. A Samaritan woman whom the Jews wanted nothing to do with. And after a brief introduction, the Lord says to the woman, Everyone who drinks of the water in this well will thirst again. John 4, 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, the water of the word, the gospel message, shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up to the resurrection life. It, it is the Lord's will for you to live with him in heaven forever when you close your eyes in this life. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what is good and acceptable in the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Who desires all men to be saved and who desires for all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. Is religion the way to be saved? Is religion the truth? Billions of people in this world are part of religion. And many of them believe that religion and its rituals are their ticket into heaven. And so they embrace religious beliefs that tell them how to live what they consider to be a spiritual life. The religion claims either that there is a God, small g, or there are many gods, small g, but the religion does not discuss how to have a personal relationship with God. How could you have a personal relationship with 8,000 gods? 
In fact, religions propose that if you don't do everything their God expects, he will be quite disappointed. And regardless of your best efforts to follow the religious rituals, which you can't and you don't, the religion does not guarantee that following the rituals will get you into heaven. There is doubt. But our God is not a God of confusion. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A relationship that saves you. The truth the Lord wants you to know is how to be saved and how to get to heaven when you close your eyes in this life. And he sent me to tell you about it. Getting to heaven when you close your eyes in this life is as simple as a nine-word conversation with God the Father. Luke chapter 23 Verses 42 and 43 say this, And a thief, being crucified next to Jesus, an unbeliever, was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23, 43, And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Just a nine-word conversation with God can get you to heaven. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Or if you prefer, it's a five-word conversation with God the Father. Father, I believe in Christ. Simply believe with nothing else added, which means you are taking God's word for what it takes to be saved. And that is the moment of the resurrection life, eternal life for you. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. It says, I, Paul, delivered to you as of first importance the gospel message I also received, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. If you reject the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you reject the offer that he makes to you, he will honor your rejection. Matthew chapter 13, verses 49 and 50 say this, So it will be at the end of the age. The elect angels, the believer angels, will come forth and take out the wicked, which is the description of unbelievers, from among the righteous, believers in Christ. Matthew thirteen fifty, And will throw the wicked into the furnace of fire. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the other hand, once the Lord saves you, No matter how hard you try, you cannot lose your salvation because once you're in union with Christ, you cannot get out. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You don't tug on Superman's cape. Anyone who tells you that you can lose your salvation is lying to you. So follow the advice of Acts chapter 16, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. And don't forget the warning of John 3.36. He who believes in God the Son has eternal life right at that moment, but he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son shall not see eternal life. The wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. It is not religion that gets you to heaven. It's relationship. And relationship with the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Have that conversation with him right this moment and be saved. All right, let's close with some music. When you purchase something, you own it. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased us with his blood at the cross. 
you were bought with a price. And Peter says it well in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, you believers in Christ were not redeemed. You were not purchased from the slave market of sin with perishable things like silver or gold from the feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers. You weren't bought with money. 1 Peter 1, 19, you were redeemed, purchased from the slave market of sin with precious blood, the blood of a lamb, unblemished, and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's how important you are to God. Here's June Murphy to sing about our Redeemer.
I know because I no. <laughs> I ain't never loved nobody like I love you. <laughs> Jody Foster. Well, a doxology of praise to our God, Philippians 4, 6. Stop worrying about anything. Instead, in everything by prayer and petition with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God the Father. And the peace of God the Father, which surpasses all comprehension, will garrison your hearts and your minds, flooding your souls with peace, you who are in union with Christ Jesus. Now to Jesus Christ, the one who is able to keep you from stumbling, the one who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, and our union with him, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we know that you are big. And we know that we diminish your bigness with our doubt. Help our unbelief. Wipe it out. Help us to, when we hear the flesh talking, dismiss what it's saying. And help us to only listen to you. And as we go forward this week into the world, back into the battle... Give us the spiritual eyes to see the things that you saw in eternity past that are going to be obstacles to us. Let us navigate those obstacles with ease and let us reach out our hands to those around us and help them to have a relationship with your son and to have a relationship with your thoughts through the study of the word of God. We ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.